supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars unforgettable. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The 2023 Speed Series season got underway in Tasmania on the weekend. Joey Mawson making a perfect start to his Gold Star defence with a clean sweep of S5000 wins. James Moffat was similarly dominant in Trans Am, while Bailey Sweeney won two of the three TCR Australia races to take an early series lead. The other win went to Aaron Cameron. And Steve Johnson won two of the three Touring Car Masters races before local legend John Bauer won the finale to kick off his last full-time season in the series. All 25 Gen 3 supercars shared a track for the first time last week at the pre-season Sydney Motorsport Park test. Brad Jones Racing and Erebus Motorsport set the pace, although the dominance of the Camaros did raise questions over whether there was some sandbagging from the Ford teams. That came ahead of a rerun of the VCAT Aero test that is taking place this week in a bid to settle the parity debate. In other Gen 3 news, a slide mount fitted to the Camaro front bars has been outlawed by supercars. The Sydney test also saw the debut of BP's brand new E75 biofuel blend that will power supercars from this year onwards as part of a new fuel supply deal. Premier Racing has named Philip DeFazio as Tim Slade's race engineer for the 2023 season, but there is still no word on a title sponsor for that car. Gary Jacobson is back in supercars after signing on with Tickford for the endurance races. He joins James Moffat, Zach Best and fellow new recruit Tyler Everingham in the enduro lineup. Gary Rogers Motorsport is the new global homologation team for Peugeot's TCR program and will develop and build the new 308 that's due for the 2024 season. And the famous Bates-Taylor combo will return to the Australian rallying scene full-time this year with renowned co-driver Coral Taylor joining Harry Bates in the ARC. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that spent the weekend driving just below the speed limit in solidarity with the four teams, Stefan and Bartholomew. Stefan, you old sandbagger, how the heck are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm excited to hear some of your insights from the Sydney test last week. Did you happen to spot any sandbags out there? I did see a sandbag. There was a bright yellow sandbag that I believe may have come out of one of the Chevrolet uh, garages that had... um, (laughs) <laughs> Ford's sandbags written on top of it, which uh, which did cause a few chuckles up and down the lane. You can probably guess from which garages. Um, but yes, it was certainly a fascinating day to kick off to kick off the season. There was uh, there was plenty to talk about, uh, and um, yeah, I suppose that's exactly where we should start. We should start talking about that stuff. Um, yeah, get into it. I mean, the accusations of, of of gamesmanship. I guess you know, as interesting as they were, they were pretty predictable as well like 
Stefan, you and I have mentioned a few times throughout this whole parody deal that, you know, when they're performing comparison tests at QR and so on, you know, is there really any great motivation from either side to put your best foot forward, except when you swap drivers or something like that, then they might actually have a go. Um, you know, to sum it up, in Sydney, the timesheet certainly favoured the Camaros. There's no doubt about that. There was just one Mustang in the top 10. That was Todd Hazelwood, and he was just ninth. The next best was Chaz Mostert. In 13th, that left pretty much everyone on the Chev side suggesting that the 14s weren't trying all that hard, perhaps in the hope that it might strengthen their case for a bit more engine and aero performance heading into the season. Uh, Unsurprisingly, the 14s refuted that claim. I guess the whole thing was complicated by the rain because supercars dropped the requirement for teams to run 2023 bank tyres in the last hour, which might have helped uh, better show where everyone was actually at, even though you could still run hard compound tyres. So, you know, there was a big difference in tyre quality being used. There's also some factors, um, you know, such as there not being a minimum weight yet or a specified centre of gravity and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, it, it is hard to tell. At the end of the day, the Chev team say sandbagging. The four teams say they're just playing old slow and they're actually really, really concerned about it. Stefan, what was your read from afar on the whole thing? Yeah, well, I mean, it was never going to be a parity test. It's not a controlled environment, as you say, and there's no consequences for sandbagging. So the question of whether supercars has messed up those big ticket parity items was never going to be answered definitively no. in Sydney. Yep. That's what they're working through this week on the runway, but I'm quite surprised that supercars didn't have those other boxes ticked for Sydney that you talk about, like mandating the car weights. Like when you've got Camaros running around 60 kilos lighter than the Mustangs, you're handing the parody critics a loaded gun. Yeah. It's odd, I think, that the Camaro teams would even want to run like that. Like the PR hang time is great on the day of being fast, but not if you've got to whack 60 kilos on the nose for Newcastle and it changes your balance. So, yeah, the the whole thing, the whole day wasn't a great look for the category, but, I mean, at least the social media outrage is proving that there's still plenty of passion there amongst the fan base. Like Holden's gone, but uh, the passion is still uh, still alive. What was your read on, yeah, the the way it all ended up? Yeah, Taylor, I mean, it's just impossible to tell. I I think – I think there was definitely an element of Ford teams not running the tyre quality that might have given them better lap times. I mean, a lot of the talk is that the Ford can actually be a quick car over a lap and that could have been demonstrated. So whether you want to call that sandbagging or gamesmanship or whatever, like I don't think it's unfair that that there would have been, you know, not a heap of motivation to go out there and try and do a lap time. And even, you know, when I spoke to Mark Dutton at the end of the day, he wasn't, his accusations weren't sort of, he wasn't hurt by it. He was like, yeah, of course. Like, this is these are smart people running race teams. Of course, they're not going to go out and, and, and chuck a brand new set of super softs on it and try and prove something that's not necessarily there. But, yeah, it, there is just there is just still so many question marks with these cars and so many bits that aren't quite finished or teams don't quite know mm. what they're going to do. And cars running around, you know, the Team 18 cars didn't have, like, the brake light buckets in and, and like, just, just – sort of these weird sort of unfinished, this unfinished sense of these cars. But here we are doing like, you know, some teams won't run their cars again until they roll out for practice in Newcastle. So still so much stuff. Even when we're talking about, you know, gearbox mounts, you know, like Scott Pye's car broke a gearbox mount um, and then looking at do they go to a steel mount on that or stick with the alloy mount, just all these little things that you just feel like you'd want to have sorted by now. I know you need to go running to find out if some of these things are going to break, but this doesn't seem like Team 18 made the new mounts before the test because they looked at it and went, we think this is going to break. 
So it's- yeah, and I, I guess this is the thing that like now that all the cars have been on track, it's easy to forget how late the whole program has run yeah. and how much they're still scrambling. So there's oh, all of sure. these loose ends everywhere. There is. There's heaps of them. There's heaps of them. We did see some parity tweaking. During the test itself, there was new maps that went in both engines on the night before the test or, you know, on the eve of the test. Um, Basically, you know, the primary reason for that was the move to the E75 fuel, which requires a bit of remapping. Um, But there was some tweaks to that. That included a longer shift cut for the Chev motors to try and just mitigate a bit of, you know, what is considered a straight line advantage and a power advantage. Um, at the same time, it caused a few headaches for the Ford teams. Uh, it was causing some some throttle response issues. The throttle wasn't really responding um, and talking to the motor the way that it should. There was some sort of throttle overrun on corners. Thomas Randall, he lost, he was worsted. He lost most of the morning session through it. He would sort of blip the throttle and nothing would happen until about mid-corner and then the engine would roar into life. Um, at the same time, there wasn't heaps of reliability issues given the fact these are brand new cars and we are running so late i mean as i mentioned there was that broken alloy gearbox mount on on scott pye's car that ruled him out sort of at the end of at the end of the day and we'll see whether that gets changed the wheel nut issues are still definitely ongoing um and the the teams are sort of continuing to work through the wheel nut and the spindle issues um there was solutions from triple eight erebus and tickford that were being sort of shared around the paddock during the test it was quite interesting watching this like redistribution <laughs> of wheel nuts at the end of the day which is not Kind of a normal part of pack down, but seeing, you know, standing at the front of Erebus and seeing Ben Croak walk up with a rag full of wheel nuts and handing them back to Barry Ryan, it was uh, it was kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, another interesting thing that we saw in Sydney uh, was the return of flames firing out the exhaust on these cars, which was really cool. Um, there's a few theories kicking about as to why that actually is. The, the new fuel was mentioned by a few as the obvious suspect, but, you know, when you start talking to teams, the cars have actually been doing it since they rolled them out and started testing them and they only they were running them on E85 fuel until they got to Sydney, um, I asked a heap of people about it and got slightly different answers every time. And that was, you know, team technical people. I spoke to Rob Herrod about it. It was. It seems like it's a combo of things. You know, it's a combo of the mapping and valve overlap, the different throttle setup with the single body on these cars, the shorter exhaust, and perhaps having that bit less ethanol in the fuel is contributing to like a deeper orange colour. Um, but... Yeah, it was pretty cool. Have you got any wild theories on why this is happening? So I know you're a highly technical, Stefan. Do you have any wild theories on why this is happening? Well, it sounds like you've got uh, all the theories there already. I don't need yeah. to add to them. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. the core of it, right, is that uh, you get flames when there's unburnt fuel coming yeah. out of the exhaust. So, I mean, just, yeah, from the cheap seats, it makes sense now. There's a spec package. If they're tipping a bit more fuel through them for longevity – you're going to have a bit more potential for flame and then it's probably, yeah, as you say, burning a bit brighter with this new fuel blend because there was a bit of flame with the E85 but it would sort of burn clear and you yeah. wouldn't necessarily pick it up unless it was a really good still photo with a bit of touching or whatever on it. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's just cool to have it back. It was the uh, the good story out of that test day even though it was uh, seemingly a totally unplanned thing on Supercar's for point sure. of view. It is a good good part of the Gen 3 package. I, I just wouldn't want to be the air spike operator in the pit stops with that going on uh, around the ankles. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's definitely true. But no, I think you're right. You know, you talk about unburnt fuel and stuff. It seems that, you know, we always actually saw airbox fires with the, with the old motors, particularly in Tickford cars for whatever reason, which sort of suggests that, you know, gases and fuels is coming out of the inlet, not necessarily making it through to the outlet. So it's just, yeah, 
it's 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 cool. The photos are amazing. It's a very cool part of the of the sort of visceral visceral part of the show to bring back. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely fun. Um, speaking of fuel, it seems we could have some fairly slow stops. Uh, again, not, probably not that much fun for the uh, for the air spike guy, but um, yeah, some pretty slow stops this season. Some teams reckon that with these new single probe fuel fillers, it's about a minute to fill the car from empty. So you're looking at something around a 45 second stop for the 250k races, up from about a 30 second stop. The option does exist to offset some of that with a lower fuel drop. Supercars has yet to actually to actually announce what the fuel drop will be, what the um, uh, what the pit uh, window regulations are going to be for these races, all that sort of stuff. They were waiting to actually get through um, the Sydney test and, and measure a heap of data based on fuel use and and, and refueling and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the team seemed to just be working on the idea that we're just going to have slow stops. Any thoughts on how that might play out, Stefan? Yeah, it's just uh, another one for the big pile of unknowns at this point heading into Newcastle. And, yeah, obviously when you're talking about longer stops, you start thinking of the risk of going a lap down yeah. if you stop early and all of that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, initially at least it could be a good thing to take a bit of pressure off those those wheel changes for with sure. those nut issues that you were talking about. I mean, yeah, teams will be able to treat all that very carefully if they're sitting there for 45 seconds waiting on the fuel. So, yeah, it, it could actually save them a little bit. There was uh, there was some jokes about being able to just do the nuts up by hand and torque wrench them um, while you're waiting for the fuel to go in, so it won't be a um, it wouldn't be an issue. I think that the, the wheel nut, the big test for the wheel nuts is going to be the Grand Prix, obviously. Um, not so much Newcastle. That's when they're going to need to to make sure that there is a system that works and the pressure is going to be on the teams to get those guns on right and uh, and that because you're going to win or lose races by getting that right or not. Uh, another thing that definitely had chins wagging in the paddock in Sydney, Stefan, was the Camaro front bar. Now, to explain this, Triple Eight designed the Triple Eight design bar distributed to the teams arrived with this flexible mount on it. It's basically a damper system. So when you whack a curb, the bumper will bounce up and then back into place rather than actually sort of break the material that it's made out of. Uh, the system was greeted with some skepticism from the Ford teams and it wasn't universally popular on the Chevrolet side either. Apparently it does come at quite a cost compared to the Ford bumper that has just the fixed mounts on it and that is, that's worried a few of the Supercars teams when it comes to having to outlay a whole bunch of cash. Uh, Supercars has got involved now and actually banned the mounts. The existing mounts have been locked out and I believe future bars will just have fixed mounts on them. Gordon Triple the device is purely to make the bars more durable, although I would imagine that anything movable on an aero service is always going to make people a little nervous. Is that is that a fair point, do you think, Stefan? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really strange that in a package that's so spec and so controlled, you could have one side turn up with a flexi mount bar and one without at, at the yeah. test day. Like, surely there are drawings of this stuff that pass through supercars well before the parts are actually produced and the cars are on the track. So I don't know what the background story is there, but at least they've sorted it before the actual racing starts. Because, yeah, even if it's primarily about saving the front bar from damage, you can't have one with and one without because no. the limiting factor of where you run your front ride height is the bumper hitting the ground. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how these bumpers survive with the rigid mount, though. Like, it might be something that gets revisited if people are cracking them on curbs because, um, yeah, they're expensive enough as it is even without the uh, those mounts. And it seems that ride height is going to be an issue with these cars. You know, like, we've seen how low they are running the cars, so... It's definitely, it's definitely a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating little thing. 
Yeah, the, the whole thing is a little bit of history repeating in a way as well because if you remember back to 2009, Triple Eight, it was quite a different thing, but they had a they had a flexi mount on the FGs that caused a, a big uproar and they took them off straight away and they just kept winning. But, um, yeah, behind the scenes there was protests and all, all stuff flying for months, so at least uh, they've uh, solved this one for now. Let's move on to the Speed Series opener in Tassie, Stefan. We covered off the grid sizes last week, and I don't think we need to really harp on about that too much. We know that there were factors that contributed to that, including the fact that TCM is actually racing in Newcastle again, like next week. Um, Stefan, what did you make of the racing itself? I'm going to be—I am going to be brutally honest here. I found the highlights a little few and far between for my liking. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, it probably wasn't their best weekend, which does start with the grid sizes. But for me, I mean, I, I still enjoy the Speed Series package overall, the varieties in categories and yeah. the short, sharp races. Like if a race is no good, it's over pretty quickly and there's another one ready to go straight afterwards. But in terms of actual highlights from the weekend, it was fun to see some overtaking in S5000. I think that push to pass seems to be working pretty well for them. It would be good, though, if the TV knew how much each driver had used yeah. at any given point. I think the more information you get on that stuff, the better. Yep. No, it was definitely hard to follow. And, I mean, we saw some passing. We didn't see a lot. I mean, in that last race, we definitely saw some pass. We saw a pass for the lead. That was probably the funnest bit of the weekend and a good pass for the lead. But it's kind of just feels like, you know, I think we spoke about it last week. You know, can someone take the fight to Joey Mawson in S5000? And it looks less realistic than ever that it's going to happen. He just looks so fast on the weekend. Like, I just can't see anyone really, really going after him. Yeah, he's doing a great job. He's really on top of those cars. And uh, it's looking like he could get a shot at Bathurst um, in the 1000 later this year, pending on the super license situation. So, um, yeah, that'd be good to uh, see how he goes uh, in the supercars field. Well, Stefan, you know we're always here for a good super license discussion if we need to have it. Oh, yeah. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Kyle Busch took victory in the NASCAR race at Auto Club Speedway, while Antonio Felix da Costa pulled off a late move on Jean-Éric Verne to win the Cape Town E-Prix. Ducati's Alvaro Bautista won both World Superbike races and the Super Bowl race at Phillip Island, and Red Bull Racing has emerged as the preseason favourite in Formula 1 after the Bahrain test, with Sergio Perez edging Lewis Hamilton on the final day. For more on that Bahrain test and the impending start to the Formula 1 season this weekend, I grabbed Motorsport Network's Grand Prix editor, Alex Kalanorkas, for a chat about where things stand, and here's what he had to say. So, Alex, what is the form out of testing? Who was looking the goods in uh, in Bahrain? Well, you just can't look past Red Bull. I think not only were they top of the times, they should have been top of the times all three days, but Alfa Romeo and Guan Yu Zhou nipped in there on the second day. Um Beyond that, though, they're just looking strong everywhere. The car looks brilliant, sort of watching trackside, particularly in Max Verstappen's hands. Like we saw Sergio Perez on the second day. He was having a bit of trouble, couldn't really hit an apex every time he went through that sort of double left turn nines and ten. Um, but Red Bull insists, actually, they've built the car in such a way that it should suit both drivers. Now, I strongly suspect it will suit Max Verstappen much more than it You'd will think so. uh, yeah. Sergio yeah. Perez. Yes, exactly, exactly. But, you know, the, the point is, is if they are so dominant, and Max is going to go and win as many races as people are fearing. It doesn't really matter that Perez might not necessarily be, you know, any closer to him this year. Um, 
so yeah, so, so Red Bull just looking in totally in command, and and, and the thing is, is that, that everybody's happy. Like Max Verstappen, he's not he's not he's not one particularly with the media to outwardly express public, you know, any positivity. He doesn't like giving you absolutely anything, and he's even you know waving at autosport reporters as he's leaving the paddock and things like that. So he's obviously <laughs> in a good in a good place. Um, the the big question is, have Ferrari got any closer? And the sort of the mood in the camp is, mm, we don't think so. Sort of Charles Leclerc, quite realistic, saying, you know, do I think? I, I mean, you know, it, I, I hope I'm in title contention more than anything else. And basically, their problem is that they've, what they've tried to do is make the car less draggy, quicker on the straights, because that was the, you know, once the engine, if, if the engine is re- as reliable as they hope it will be, and it did look much better in testing, can they be close to Red Bull on the straights? Because that was a, a key difference in the battles last year. So they've made the car less draggy. The class has made them slower in the corners, which is where they were best last year. So they're chasing the setup. It makes things a bit more tricky and difficult for the drivers. Um, so yeah, it's it, 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 the, the sort of the messages and the mood of the two camps are one good, one not so good. They will of course be a lot closer come qualifying on Saturday, and, and then obviously on into the race on Sunday. But if I were a betting person, which I must have, I must, must admit I'm not, but um, it would it would have to be Red Bull to to, to, to bet on for the start of the season. So where does Mercedes sit in all this? We obviously see, saw some improvement from them at the end of last season. Where do they sort of feel they sit in the pecking order at the moment? So pretty much the same sort of place, I would say. I think the the team, sort of the message at sort of launch time was, you know, but keep everything in sort of realistic expectations. Don't get ahead of ourselves. Don't declare we're going to be entitled contention. And mainly that was because the package essentially is the same. It's, it's a bit like every team. They've evolved what they've got. And um, some nice little uh, updates and details on the Merc, but they've still kept that zero pod, the, the really narrow side pod design. Basically, with the big floor, the team was a bit worried. Like, look, have we actually engineered out the porpoising and bouncing problems that we had last year? Now, the porpoising is fixed. We saw a little bit of that on day one but it was just the teams putting their setups into mad places to actually trigger the porpoising to be like, right, we're going to stay away from running the, running things in those settings. Then with Mercedes, they changed both suspensions on the suspensions, suspensions on both axles. So that should fix the horrific ride problem, which was the secondary issue that was revealed sort of midway through last season. So day one, they're very happy because they're like, great, we've, we've sorted that out. That, that thing is not going to be what's really holding us back uh, in 2023. But essentially, the balance problems of the W13, Lewis Hamilton is saying, we've solved some of the problems, but not all of them. So therefore, that's why they're not like, oh, we haven't actually got, you know, we're probably a bit closer to Red Bull, but not the not catapulted ourselves into title contention. And then they had a, a pretty terrible day too. Obviously, the car broke down, which is what the W13, for, for all the things it did badly, it didn't really break down. Um, so that, that was a, a major headache. But actually, the team was just, the balance was off, the setup, they were getting very confused. They needed to, to dig into the data, launched a big overnight uh, investigation with their factory in Brackley. And things were better for day three, but there's just a bit of a, a bit of a question mark about Mercedes. But the real problem they've got is that some people, I think this is a bit of a stretch, but some people think Aston Martin could even be ahead of them because that team looked tremendous in testing. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. I mean, you know, there is this Aston Martin hype. Hype does tend to follow Fernando Alonso pretty much wherever he goes. He's quite good at generating it himself. Is there something to this hype? 
Oh, I, I think absolutely. I think it's. I, I'm, I'm wary of getting too carried away because um, we went and watched uh, Trackside actually that morning where Perez was was having an awful time in the, in the RB19, or maybe not an awful time, but a, a less a less easy time than Max Verstappen anyway. Um, basically, Fernando Alonso, he was he was almost stroking the car through every turn, and he was getting on the power so early. Now, you know that that, that points to one thing that it's uh, sort of. In, uh, I spoke to one team member at Aston Martin, they described it. It's an, it's an easy car to drive, and obviously that's that's all relative but basically what they're saying is they're not having these massive balance problems but the fact he was able to get on the power so early out of a slow corner you know sort of going onto a long straight like turn 10 suggests to me that he's maybe not absolutely fat with fuel that said the team did a very very strong race run on the final afternoon they didn't get involved in the sort of shootout in inverted commas you know the the, the chasing times at the, at the very end of testing didn't bother with any of that they just went for this long race run and it compared very very favorably particularly with mercedes but the other thing about that race run and not getting involved in the low fuel sort of time chasing that shows you it's a confident team and, and honestly the, the, the mood in that camp does seem to be wow this is this is pretty good. I think there's a certain sort of honeymoon element with, you know, a new driver and a, and a very famous driver and a lot of attention coming their way that way. But definitely, in terms of the car, very, very happy. The other problem, or sort of the, the flip side of that, is that Lance Stroll has, uh, we understand, quite severely injured his wrist. And obviously, they've, they've finally said that should he miss the Bahrain Grand Prix, he'll be Felipe Drigovic in the other car. Now, from my understanding, this is just based on speaking to people in the paddock and the sort of the rumours and the suggestions going around there is that it's extremely unlikely Lance Stroll will make the race. So, you know, good in one sense for Aston that they seem to have a car that they're ha- very happy with, but bad in the other sense that their driver lineup is 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 very imbalanced now. It's quite amazing listening to you talk about this Aston being easy to drive because I don't know if you remember when you and I were trackside at Albert Park last year and just mm. what an absolute horrible car that was. I think we saw one end up in the wall over at Turn Eleven at one point, but yeah, that was we did. Yes, Sebastian uh, Vettel getting on some curves, not yeah, having a good time. <laughs> yeah, incredible, incredible turnaround in uh, in twelve months with that team. Speaking of difficult cars to drive, how concerned should Aussie fans be about what we're sort of seeing and hearing from McLaren at the moment? Right now, rather concerned, I would say, mm. in that look, looking at that car, it was the it was the least happy handling car really in the entire field and certainly in that upper midfield area that you would expect McLaren to be. Uh, and essentially what McLaren have come out and said is, look, we, we missed our, our targets in development. We slightly went the, the wrong way in making changes. And what they've done is they've, they've produced a car that's too draggy. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't actually mean it's slow in a straight line because what you do when you've got a draggy car, of course, is, is take the big sort of downforce producing bits off it. So they'll go like a rocket ship in a straight line, but then be really, you know, quite slow and quite uncomfortable in the corners. And that does appear to be exactly what's happening uh, with the McLaren right now. Like look, looking at Lando Norris and, and Oscar Piastri just hitting the brakes is a problem. Turning in, it's just, it's not compliant. So basically what the drivers are saying is it actually doesn't feel that different to last year, the end of 2022. Now, Piastri doesn't have a massive amount of experience in that car, but the testing he has done with it, he'll hit, and also he'll have understood what Norris was feeding about, what Ricardo was saying last year. Like, you know, Lando Norris, you know, another another great season for him in terms of the results he delivered, but he didn't enjoy driving the car. So yeah. McLaren set out set out to fix that balance, and they sort of saying, look, we've made progress in that area. We've made progress in how the car handles, but suddenly, because we've got to take the downforce off, they're putting it back in a sort of similar position. It's just a nightmare to get in to the corners. So yeah, it's, if I were an, an Aussie fan, you know, hoping for a, a big result for Piastri uh, uh, come Sunday, it, it's going to look tricky. That said, I don't believe they're sort of the ninth or tenth 
slowest car. I don't think that a, I don't think that the cost cap means that the teams that were behind them can make that much ground in one off season. And also I don't think McLaren have necessarily fallen that far. They've sort of just stayed at the same level. Whereas teams like Alpine and obviously clearly Aston have made sort of steps forward. Um, but the good thing, that's why I said when I sort of started uh, my answer to you, I was sort of saying right now, or, you know, it does look bad or, or, or it looks rather bad right now. The good thing is McLaren are sort of saying, we know about this. It's not like they rocked up in testing and went, oh my God, the car's draggy. What are we going to do? They, they, they identified this a long time ago. They're even saying at the launch, wait until Baku. That's when we've got a big upgrade coming. And hopefully that fixes their issues. So it's not like it's a sort of season long, you know, scrap to get back what they've, you know, fix what they've, what they've done. They've already, uh, already understand what it is and they're trying to fix it already. In the short term, though, could there be a time where maybe Oscar's thinking, geez, that Alpine looks pretty good after all? Well, I was, in, I was in the pit lane. I think this did get picked up by the TV cameras. I was in the pit lane on the on the final morning of testing and I, and I, I was walking past the McLaren, which, which also had actually really awkward problems in that the sort of the eyebrow, that sort of nickname for the wheel covers that are, are on the, you know, the side of the, the nose cone and, and inside the front wheels, they were, you know, they were sort of, they were flexing and, and, and rubbing and things were going wrong and they were having to put heat guns on them to, to try and or make alterations to get the car to just work without having that issue. So the McLaren spent a long time off track on Friday. As I walk past there, cars up on you know up on its jacks, it's all sort of everything's off it, all the wheels off it. They've got these heat guns on the on the on the fronts, and there's Oscar Piastri in a in a in an in depth chat. Let's put it that way with Mark Webber, his manager. And you know, obviously, I couldn't hear what they were saying. You can't just wander in and and, and see what's going on, but. You know, I, I'm sure they they weren't they, they won't be saying this, but that, you know, it calls you know your mind immediately goes, oh, is there a bit of regret there? Because with Alpine, Alpine didn't look brilliant in testing, but they've got they've said they've got a massive upgrade package coming. So what they're doing is going, well, there's no point even chasing ultimate setup and lap time if we're going to change it all come the race weekend. So the thing with with Alpine is that their messages are very confident, very happy. You know, they're, they're, the Aston thing probably has shocked them, but you know they're, they're clearly going places whereas mclaren's got to wait for baku and, and and go for a bit of pain first so i'm sure oscar at the very least he's delighted to be on the grid and ultimately alpine messed that up you know that it was their fault that he ended up looking elsewhere and ended up at mclaren um but yeah at the very least i hope you can i hope you can enjoy his debut this weekend well alex thanks for your time enjoy bahrain and i'll see you in melbourne in just a few short weeks my friend Excellent. Can't wait. No, I love that city. And uh, yeah, I hope you're going to take me to the sites of St Kilda once again. Of course. Of course we'll do that. Okay, it's Castro on Mailbag time, and we're going to run through a few more pet peeves this week, thanks to the excellent response that we got last week. So Tim Matheson kicks us off with corner numbers instead of corner names. It's not turn one, two, and three. It's the center chicane. Uh, I reckon this one is super corner dependent, Stefan. And the concern is that there's traditional corner names and then there's modern advertising corner names. <laughs> and if we go hard and fast on names, we open ourselves up for a bit more carco.com.au raceway situations. <laughs> what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I understand why the drivers and teams speak in the corner number manner because that's yep. what they use for their engineering briefings. But, yeah, this also, the conversation as well is about um, the fact that there's quite a few corners these days without names on mm-hmm. circuits, especially the yep. more modern circuits. 
And to be honest, I don't, I don't mind that because the thing that I find is worse is when they force names on corners. They just arbitrarily plonk a legendary driver name yeah. on a corner and it doesn't sort of have meaning. Like it's got to be organic in order to stick and it's got to have relevance to the land or something that's happened there in the past. So, yeah, there's certainly a few circuits getting about with just the numbers. Uh, Luke Little, his pet peeve is simply the Ute series. I think the move to the V8s has made that product better, but I, I, you could still argue that it doesn't serve a massive purpose. Yeah, I mean, it gets savaged badly on social media, the Super Utes, which is a shame for the competitors who have persevered and have actually made it a viable category. Yep. But I don't think it'll ever sit well with the public, and that is partly because of those early years with the diesel engines and the high Correct. ride heights and the rollovers. It was just so comical and it also exists in the shadow of the original V8 Ute series which was so popular but yeah unfortunately couldn't last forever uh, David King says restricting what drivers say so if we're talking about like form, the Formula 1 situation where the powers that be don't want overly political statements from drivers then yep that, that's pretty rubbish but I think particularly closer to home that, that most of the sensory we, censoring we see is self-censoring from drivers rather than them not you know being told not to talk yeah, I think that's uh, that's accurate and it's just the way of the world now that with social media, like as soon as anyone says anything that's out of the ordinary, they just get lynched. Like we saw that in the last week with David Reynolds. He stuck his neck out on the parody issue and got absolutely roasted on, on socials. Like yep. It's unfortunate that if you're going to be honest these days, you've probably got to have a thick skin and, and open-minded sponsors as well because um, that's where a lot of the sensitivity comes in. He was definitely one of the first guys to bring up how quick the Mustangs were through Turn 8 at Adelaide in 2019 as well. So uh, he doesn't mind sticking his head into the lion's mouth, Davey, which is uh, good news because we do actually need people like that in the sport. Uh, Steve Daniel mm. says, uh, drivers who refuse to be interviewed. I think you've picked the right couple of blokes to chuck that pet peeve at, <laughs> uh, Steve. I think we'll both agree with you on that one. Yeah, it's even harder when you don't have the safety of a TV camera. Um coming with you on those uh, interview uh, requests but TV to, to be honest like, I don't think it really happens to us that often at the track like you sort of know to pick your moment and, and who you're dealing with um, yeah. and you can still have a good conversation with someone even if they don't want to talk on the record so yeah it's it's one of those things I do massively respect anyone who fronts up for interviews in the bad times though as well as the good yeah for sure uh, Jordan Northcote says the T8RD hate does my head in? There's seriously no reasoning with those guys. You do definitely see some wild Triple Eight related conspiracy theories out there. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think when you become so successful and do it for so long, it really is a love hate thing with the fan base. It was the same with HRT back in the day and Triple Eight of the modern version of that. And, you know, Roland's never gone out of his way to be liked, has he? He's in the business no, of exactly. winning races and yeah. not, not fans. And you can probably say the same with Shane as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robert Fetchner uh, says, I don't think the winner of the Supercars Teams Championship should be rewarded with pit bay number one for the entire year. It's an unfair advantage over the season, which just contributes to the same teams winning year after year. To me, the problem with this is if you take that away, there's basically no interest in the Teams Championship left. Even the teams talk about that <laughs> being what they're fighting for. Yeah, it does give the Teams Championship a bit of actual meaning. And yeah, having that first garage is prestigious. You've, you've got to earn it. Like in this system of equal prize money and control everything like it's good to actually have something something like this i think and it really doesn't like if you flip the order 
I don't think it's going to flip the the race results, is it? No, no. We've seen it. We've seen it chopping and changing hands over the last few years. Like it's very, it's very possible to win it from you know second in the order. So yeah. Uh, Jonathan Tate says, "Why can't the fastest qualify pick which side they start from the grid?" I think this is actually a circuit homologation issue. Like it's not that easy to just flip what side of the grid is which, even though it does kind of make sense. Um, I'm pretty sure. Is that right? Oh, I'm not sure, to be honest, because this hasn't really been something that's been on the agenda. I do remember that Adelaide uh, flipped theirs uh, a couple of years back after some uh, yeah. Yeah, years oh, it, of discussions. It can, it, it can yeah. be done, but it's not a case of like after qualifying saying, hey, what side do you want to start on? Like it's no, not that. It, it's not that it is an interesting. It is an interesting idea, and you see in NASCAR where they choose the lanes for the restarts and things yeah. like that. So I think at most tracks it would be a no-brainer that you want the inside for for turn one. But it could be fun at somewhere like I don't know Hidden Valley. You see poles on the inside, but the pole sitter often complains about having the dirty side of the road for the start. So yeah. if you can choose, it does remove that uh, that sort of uh, yeah avenue for uh, grievance. Uh, Terry Harvest doesn't like the use of the wording "pleased to announce" and "on board" being always used together. Sounds like someone's on a few media release distribution lists to me. Yeah, we've seen uh, too many media releases in our uh, in our time, and they all do start to read the same. I swear, some of these teams have had Chat GPT for years, just churning out these uh, these releases. Oh, particularly in livery season. Good lord. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, Daniel Simpson, conspiracy theories in the comments section of every motorsport post. Yeah, I mean, conspiracy theories can be fun, but you don't have to take them too seriously. Yeah, a lot of them are the same old thing, but I like the one in the E-series where um, because Shane didn't run a webcam like everyone else, there were uh, people in the comments, and I worked at Supercars at the time, so I saw a lot of this. They were commenting that he had his cat driving for him oh, instead. that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I thought of that when uh, when that burnout uh, happened in Adelaide last year, that maybe oh, the cat was the in cat, the car. Uh, yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay, that's a good conspiracy theory. I like There's that one. There's one for you. Um, Jason Crawford uh, doesn't like lap traffic on restarts late in the race, impeding the lead car's ability to race for position. Uh, you should be excited in those situations, not knowing what's going to happen, but that drops off and there's lap cars in the way. Um, yeah, I mean, a lap car in between first and second at a restart is generally not great news. You know, if you have a lap car right at the front, that can be a bit of fun, but you certainly want your very lead group to be able to race each other on a late restart. Not if you're Toto Wolf, you don't. Well, that's <laughs> but But, yeah, in supercars, this already happens, right? Because in the last eight laps, anyone who's a lap down gets dragged yeah. through the pit lane if there's a safety car. So, yeah. And then, yeah, categories like Formula 1, they just let everyone unlap themselves. But um, from a, from an overall standpoint, I actually think the opposite to, to Jason here. Like, the safety car's already hurting the leader. If they've worked hard to lap some cars, I think you should at least get that little bit of buffer, even if it's... Um, yeah, not helping the show. Yeah, that's fair enough. That is a fair enough point. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Uh, Stefan, you can go first this time. My Star of the Week is Kyle Busch, who's now won at least one race in 19 consecutive NASCAR Cup seasons, which uh, is an incredible stat on its own, but it's now a record he holds over Richard Petty. So... Uh, yeah, the fact that he's won in his second cup start with Richard Childress racing as well after splitting with Joe Gibbs, I reckon that would have been pretty satisfying for him. 
Good choice. I'm going to give mine. I'm going to split mine between Steve Johnson and John Bauer for their um for their efforts to kind of try and hold hands on the cooldown lap of the last TCM <laughs> race in Tasmania. Uh, that was uh that was yeah it was kind of cool. Uh, obviously for JB as a Tasmanian, it was cool to see him win that race. Uh, it was pretty clear that Stevie J had a big hand in that by not putting up too much of a fight for the lead on the second last lap or whenever it was. Um, he tried to say he was out of tyres at the end of that race, but, you know, come on, we all know what was going on. What, what do you make of that sort of charity, Stefan, when you see something like that happen? Oh, I think uh, as a good Mustang driver, Stevie J was just uh, slowing up a bit, doing ah, a bit of sandbagging. Very good. I like it. Good job. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney... We ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night. 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.